Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to jump right in here because I'm super excited because we have another review and I wanted to get that out here on the record for everyone to hear before we do anything else. Nice. So yes. you ready for this? I am. I wanted this because this was the, the title of this review addressed the review specifically to me. <laughs> oh, lovely. Yeah. But it starts off. Suck Sorry, it, Jeff. Jeff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not suck it, Jeff. Sorry, Jeff. So it's like, it's an apology review. A five-star apology. Perfect. Sorry, Jeff. I binged it. I can't remember what episode it was, but Jeff did say not to binge this show, which as per usual, something is coming up that I apparently said on this podcast that I have no recollection of ever saying, but I stand firmly behind that opinion that you should not binge this show. Wait, why, why would I do that? Yeah, why did you say Please that? Please binge our show. So yeah, I can't remember what episode it was, but Jeff did say not to binge this show, but I did listen all the way through for the past four months. So they spaced it out over four months, which that's, that's good. That's a that's a decent pace, I'd say. That's a very decent. I love pace. this show. It has taught me so much about fairy tales, folklore, and just stories not from Europe, as well as stories from Europe. I'm a graduate student getting my master's in English slash creative writing, as well as a writer, and this has only increased my love for stories. I have even mentioned y'all in class and used the stories told here to make some points about literary criticism. Thanks for all you do, CJS. AKA the Spaceman 72. Thank you so much, the Spaceman 72. <laughs> or CJS, as you may prefer to be called. Thank you for the really nice review. Um, I'm glad. I'm always uh, surprised and honored that anyone listens to this podcast. Fair enough. And I appreciate that. And I am also just honored that people who are like, you know, studying English and writing in at like the master's level, like yeah. we had, uh, you know, high school teachers come in and like tell that they've, have gotten stuff from our podcast. Now we have someone who's a writer and like a, you know, majoring in English and creative writing. It's just like, that's like, I am very, very touched and honored that someone like, you know, yeah. these types of people are the people that like our show and think very highly of it and, you know, the work that we do. And by we, I mean Katrina, because she's <laughs> doing all the, the, the heavy research here. But I go up to this goddess temple uh, for like full moons and new moons and stuff. Mostly, I feel like, I don't know. It's a little more. It started off as like mostly kind of a research thing, but it definitely is good for like getting in tune with my spirituality or at least like calming down my life in those moments that I'm there to like mm -hmm. relax my soul for a minute. Yeah. But I was talking to somebody that was up there and she was saying that she feels like what we're doing with the podcast is like taking all of these like heirloom seeds from like all over the world and then just like passing them out to people to see if they want to like, you know, let them grow somewhere else. Yeah. Um, or see how they grow in like different environments or whatever. And I thought that was like a beautiful kind of like illustration yeah. of that's a beautiful like image. Yeah, of of like collecting all these stories from all over the place that are, are old that we don't normally look at or see 
And then presenting them to people as like, look how beautiful this is. Or like, look how quirky this is. Look how weird this is. Look yeah. look what somebody did with this. But it's like, you never know where one of those seeds is going to land. Yeah. And then it's like, it'll land some places and it's not, and for some one person, it's not going to grow. They're not the right type of soil or conditions for that. Yeah. But someone will be. It's going to land there and then it's going to like start sprouting and growing into something. Whether it's like a creative writing piece that they do or whether it's just something that they like want to start telling their friends about or, you know, and yeah. that sparks like stuff within their friendship. And I don't, you know, it's just, it's cool. Yeah. So we are so happy when creative people are just enjoying themselves or uncreative people. Just kidding. All people are creative people. I 100% agree with that statement. If you want to be creative and write us a very creative five-star <laughs> review, you are welcome and encouraged to do so. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. That's where most of these, aka all of these are from. Apparently, supposedly, you can do reviews on Spotify as well. I don't know if you can do anything written. If you can, I don't know where to find them. I don't use Spotify, but I've heard other people saying that you can leave Spotify reviews. It may be a complete lie. But if it's not and you listen on Spotify, give us a good review there too. And if you don't think that we deserve a good review, write to us on Instagram and tell us why (laughs) and let us convince you why we actually do. Or just keep it to yourself. On a more serious bent to that kind of idea, only slightly more serious. Like we we love hearing uh, from people when they write in and tell us about things that we may not have known. You know, like we're here to learn and like we, we've made mistakes. We've said things that are incorrect on this podcast before and people write in and are very nice about how they, you know, bring that up to us. And we're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really interesting. We learned something new from that type of conversation. So when it's done in like a constructive way of saying, you know, like something that we may have messed up on or something that we overlooked or whatever, like we do like to hear that because it's, uh, you know, like a learning experience for us. Sometimes it is tough to make corrections on uh, like podcasts after they're posted, because yeah. if we do a correction on something, it's usually not connected with the episode yeah, like that the correction is from. Yeah. And so like it gets a little hard to like make those corrections, but I do reply to people and I don't consider it. I don't consider it rude at all. No, unless you're rude about it. Yeah, nobody's. Yeah, I'm like, no one's ever messaged me in a rude way. So we appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like the type of people that are into fairy tales and folklore and that kind of thing, you know, they're about the folk. So they like people. They're not trying to, you know, make people upset. We're all about learning and living and laughing and loving. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, speaking of... We're doing a lot of uh, laughing today, which is good. So we have a Fifth Friday Fable Fest coming up in March on the 31st. It's going to be at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. I can't remember if Daylight Savings is going to have started by that point. I don't know. (laughs) Guys, listen. We talk about this every single time this happens. I I don't know. Whether it's daylight, whether it's standard, it will be Eastern time at 8.30. So... Join us. We're having our patrons on Patreon pick the topic. And they've done good by us thus far. Yeah, they have. You know, keep it up, patrons. They're doing a great job. Doing a great job. <laughs> so a little content warning, trigger warning for this episode. There is going to be violence and there is going to be what we're calling optimistic cannibalism. So stay tuned for what that means. Unless you're not into it and then you'll be skipping this episode. I'm super excited for the episode today. I know we say that all the time, but today is going to be our first installment of the Snow White project that is going to sound like an actual Snow White story. Right. Because if you recall previously on the Fairy Tellers podcast, (laughs) 
We're going to start a series talking, this is Katrina, we're going to start a series talking about Snow White. So in order to do that, we need to go back to the Trojan War and ancient Greece. It was like, whoa. Yeah. But it was really cool. If you haven't heard that episode, it's definitely worth a listen because it was a really cool story. And it's really interesting the way that it does relate to Snow White, which I don't know if we'd even want or need to recap that here. But this one, definitely much more directly. You'll you'll hear the stories and you'll be like, ah, yes. Yeah. That sounds like the Snow White that we know and love. So yeah, our first installment was the Trojan War episode. We did that one because it's one of like the oldest tales that are connected to these or like have elements that are connected to them. But we're not quite at the point where that is relevant. Much more relevant is our second episode in this series, which was The Lay of Eliduc. I forgot that that one was related to this, but now I remember oh, exactly oh, how and why. Yeah, I'm like, it's very related. So I was going to say, normally on our podcast, you can pop into an episode and we try to like give you all of the relevant information that you need for it now. And I mean, we will. This episode will still like you'll be able to follow. But when Jeff is retelling the first story, you'll be a lot more like, oh, before we get to the end. Um, If you've heard the lay of Ely Duke. So if you want, you can stop right here and then go back and listen to that episode. Marie de France what was it, 12th century, 11th century? Yeah, go back, listen to it. It's incredible and incredibly relevant to today. But you can only do that if you promise to come right back to this episode (laughs) and finish it. You promise? Good, thank you. We'll see you in a bit. Welcome back to everyone who went and listened to that episode. And if you didn't do that, then we're glad you're still here. So this is technically our third installment of the Snow White Project. So... In this episode, you are going to see the Snow White story, as we know it, start to take shape. There are going to be elements that are coming together, definite references and callbacks relations to the lay of Eliduke. It will be overt. If you've listened to that last episode, you will definitely understand it. And in fact, it's really going to be fascinating because the tale that Jeff is going to be telling is from Celtic fairy tales collected by Joseph Jacobs. And within his book, he put a note in the back about the story where he was questioning parts of it and if he thought that it belonged to Celtic tales or if somehow something had infiltrated. But anyway, Mm. I've realized that I've been remiss in telling everyone this tale type in the ATU index which, I mean, makes sense because we haven't actually covered any tales. That no, we are... haven't gotten to one that was yet. Yeah. So it is number 709, Snow White, which mm. we've talked about this before. The name that they give always seems to be based on the most famous story title in the mix. And it is kind of a misnomer calling it Snow White because very few of the stories include a character of the description of Snow White. And in the Mm. tale that Jeff is going to be telling today, none of the ladies, you know, are called Snow White or even are described in that way. We're not we're not into the talking about the tricolor situation yet. Mm. (laughs) Episodes to come. But two very important color words that we are going to be talking about today. Excellent segue. The title of this story is Gold Tree and Silver Tree. Once upon a time, there was a king, and he had a wife named Silver Tree and a daughter named Gold Tree. 
which was definitely not the direction I thought a story called Gold Tree and Silver Tree was going to go as these entities being human beings. <laughs> I thought it was going to be about trees. But no. What a weird thing for you to assume with a title <laughs> like Gold Tree and Silver Tree. Yeah. So the king had a wife named Silver Tree and a daughter named Gold Tree. And one day, Gold Tree and Silver Tree went down into a lovely glen. And in the glen, there was a well. And in that well, there was a fish. A rare fish, a rattling fish. <laughs> Do you know that song, Katrina? I don't. I'm so sorry. The Rattlin' Bog? You've never heard the Rattlin' Bog? I haven't, no. It's kind of like, look, this doesn't happen very often, but I'm going to teach you about folklore today, Katrina. I'm so excited. So it's like a, an Irish folk song. And I did a tiny bit of research on this <gasps> because when I had that own reference pop in my brain, I was like, oh, I bet this is something that would be interesting to our listeners. So the Rattlin' Bog, it's kind of like, there's tons of versions of this in lots of different cultures, especially English-speaking cultures, where it's like... There's like, uh, it starts like the valley, like down the valley, there's a, a log and there's a frog on the log. And then like each verse, something else gets added onto it. Yeah. You know, like where there's like a flea on the frog on the log on the, on the valley, in the valley, yo, or whatever, you know, yeah. that's how the song kind of goes. And it is number, song number 129 in the Roud Folk Song Index. Have you heard of the Roud Folk Song Index, Katrina? I have not. <laughs> Wow, I had not either. So the Route Folk Song Index, according to uh, some really deep research I did on Wikipedia, uh, is a database that has uh, over 250,000 references to over 25,000 songs, which has a lot of songs. And they're collected specifically from like English language tradition from all over the world. This is done by Stephen Route. And done meaning being done. He is still alive and still doing this today so there's a little fun fact for you this is a backdoor pilot episode <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the folk song singers <laughs> how about the folk singers the folk singers that's a better uh it's so, no it's lackluster yeah no it's not not great enough anyway so there's a little <laughs> side note about irish folk songs Oh, and folk songs, you know, and that there is such a thing as the Roud Folk Song Index, which I just loved because it was like we talk about ATU like oh, the, yeah. all the time. Arn Thompson Uter index. And then it's like now there's another folklore index, and it's like, love it. L love the indexes. <laughs> and for those of you who are aware of the song Ratlin Bog and have, like me, always wondered what Ratlin means and never bothered to Google it, it apparently in this context means splendid. Mm. So anyway, they went down into a glen, and in that glen there was a well, and in that well there was a fish. A rare fish, a rattling fish. Uh, but specifically, this fish was a trout. And <laughs> Silver Tree called down into the well to the trout saying, Trouty, which is the best. Like she's already given it like a little nickname. Of course. Bonnie little fellow, she says. Trouty, you bonnie little fellow. Am I not the most beautiful queen in the world? Which is like a very conceited way to phrase that question. And kind of like a you know, conceited question to ask in yeah. the first place. But anyway, she asks it of this fish. Why is it so important what this fish thinks of her beauty is beyond me. He's the Perez Hilton of fish. <laughs> and because this is a fairy tale, this trout replied. And he was like, nope, you're not the most beautiful queen in the world. And Silver Tree was aghast at the audacity of this response. And she's like, what? She's like, if I'm not the most beautiful queen in the world, then who is? 
And the fish is like, well, it's your daughter, Gold Tree. And I'm like, lady, if you didn't want to be second best, you probably shouldn't have named your daughter Gold Tree when you're Silver Tree. Yeah. But that's just me. Anyway, Silver Tree, very, very upset by this. And she goes home in a blind rage, throws herself down on the bed, and she refuses to get out and refuses to, quote, unquote, get well until she could get the heart and liver of Gold Tree to eat. And I'm like, the what? (laughs) (laughs) And if you're like me, you're probably thinking, that's a little bit of an extreme reaction. (laughs) But nonetheless, it is the reaction that Silver Tree has. So that night, the king comes home and he starts hearing from everyone that his wife is sick. She's in bed. She won't come out. And so, of course, he's concerned about his dear wife. And he goes up to her and asks, you know, what's the matter? And she's like, oh, only a thing which you may heal if you like. He's like, oh, okay. You know, it's just this little old thing that you can totally uh, cure for me. No problem. And being the good husband that this man is, he says, and I quote, indeed, there is nothing at all which I could do for you that I would not do. But I won't do that. <laughs> I would do anything for love. Yes. Uh, because the Queen Silver Tree's response is like, okay, if there's anything you could do, you will do it. Good. Uh, then bring me our daughter's heart and liver so that I can eat them. And in a very fortuitous series of events, it just so happened that the son of another great king had come along that very day, shortly thereafter. I'm not sure the timing of this, but it seems, again, very fortuitous. The son of a great king had come along to ask for Gold Tree's hand in marriage. And the king is like, this is perfect. Good timing. It solves my problem. Exactly. Impeccable timing. Yes, he eagerly agrees. And the two of them go off to be married and live happily ever after. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. And with his daughter, now off to be married to a dashing young prince from another land, he tells his lads to go on a little hunting trip. And he tells them to go out and get a he-goat, which is also known as a billy goat, because this is an animal husbandry podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And so they did. They got went out, they killed a billy goat, and the king brings the liver and heart of this goat to his wife to eat, under the pretense that it was the heart and liver of their beloved Dearly departed daughter. Yeah. Gold tree. That's some optimistic cannibalism. She had hoped to cannibalize her daughter. (laughs) But you've been punked. It's actually a goat's heart and liver. (laughs) And she's like, ew, disgusting. No, she doesn't know. She eats it thinking it's her daughter's heart and liver. And ta-da, miraculously, she is healed from her illness, which was just being upset and being unreasonable and making disgusting cannibalistic demands. But nonetheless, she's healed. One year later, (laughs) Silvertree goes back to that trout in the well, in the glen, in the bog, down in the valley And, you know, enough time's passed. Still looking pretty good. Been doing my skincare routine. Anyway, so Silvertree goes back to this well to talk to her buddy, the fish, whose opinion she very highly values, and ask this trout, without the cute nickname this time, because I think he made her a little upset the last time. She asked, am I not the most beautiful queen in the world? To which the trout replied, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And she is upset. She's like, what? Who? Who's who's the most beautiful queen in the land if it's not me? And he's like, your daughter, Gold Tree. Silver Tree is a little confused, upset. She's like, oh, 
She has been dead for a while. It's been an entire year since I ate her liver and heart myself. And the fish is like, well, actually, she is not dead. <laughs> the trout that lives in the well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Says she's not dead. She's married to a great prince living abroad. And so Silver Tree stomps home and begs the king, her husband, to put her in a longship and send her off to wherever it is that her daughter is living, which is across a large body of water or up a river or something because yeah. she's going by a longship. And so they get the longship ready and Silver Tree gets in and it says, which I thought was an interesting and kind of cool detail, Silver Tree herself is at the helm and steered the ship so well that they got there super quick. We love a boss, babe. Yeah. She's very motivated. Do we love a cannibalistic <laughs> Boss, babe, less so, probably. Less so. But got to, you know, got to appreciate the hustle. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So long ship pulls up on shore. The prince at this time is out on a hunting trip. And Gold Tree sees this long ship that she knows belongs to her father coming. And she says to her servant, she's like, oh, um, guess what? Mommy's here and (laughs) she's going to kill me. And the servants are like, uh-uh, no, she will not. She is not going to kill you. We're going to go and we're going to lock you in a room and she's not going to be able to get anywhere near you. And so they take her up into this room, lock her in, and and her mother, Silver Tree, comes out and she's like, oh, come meet your own mother when she comes to see you. <laughs> and Gold Tree's like, nope, sorry, can't. I'm locked in a room and I can't get out of it. And Silver Tree's like, oh, that's all right. Will you not at least put out your little finger through the keyhole so that I can give you a little kiss? And so Gold Tree's like, "Uh, okay. Gold Tree sticks out her little finger through the keyhole and Silver Tree went and put a poisoned stab in it, is what it says, a poisoned stab. So she like pokes her finger that's sticking out through the keyhole with something that is poisoned and Gold Tree fell down dead like immediately. Yeah. And when the prince came home and found that Gold Tree was dead, obviously he was very upset. And seeing how beautiful she was, even while dead, he did not bury her at all, but he just locked her up in a room where nobody could get near to her. Which, I mean, stay with us here. I know it's giving off some major like psycho vibes, like Hitchcock's psycho, but just stay with us, all right? So years pass. And in the course of years and life and how things happen, this young prince gets married again. And so his new wife, she had kind of like full run of the household, everything she could go anywhere she wanted to do, anything she wanted, except for one room. And he always kept the key to that room on his own person. Suspicious. Yes. So as it happens, on a certain day, he forgets to take the key with him. And the second wife is like, okay, I got to know what's in this room. This is not something new to fairy tales, but I am in this one, especially like, okay, I feel like this is like really kind of justified mm, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, oh, she's curious. And he, then there in other ones, it's like, she makes her make a promise. Like, you're not going to go in there. And she's like, oh, I just can't help it. But this is like, okay, like what is happening in this house? Why can't I go in yeah. this one room? Especially because her husband is like, a, 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 I would imagine like a really good guy. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing about him thus far that has yeah. given any indication that he's horrible. As a woman. I've watched a ton of true crime documentaries and anytime some lady is like, oh yes, 
Well, you know, my husband, he, he had a shed out back, and I knew I was never allowed to go to it. Oh, we had a room in the house. Oh, the basement was his domain, so I never went yeah. down there. I'm like, uh-uh-uh, what, no. Never a good thing. What in the world? You wouldn't want to open the door to that room and find a dead woman inside of it or something. Yeah, that'd be horrifying. <laughs> Which is actually exactly what happened in this story. She goes in, <laughs> opens the door, and she sees a dead woman in this room. And this was the most beautiful woman mm -hmm. that she had ever seen. Yes. And so immediately she like runs over and is like trying to wake her up. She notices the poison stab in her finger, which again, I'm not sure what a stab is. It's probably something like a needle. The book has an illustration of like a dagger, which doesn't seem quite right, but. Yeah, because I would imagine like a pin if, you, if you're pulling that out. Because if it yeah. was just like, if she got poison stabbed into her finger and that lady took it out, was that lady like sucking on her finger or something? Like, like snake bite style, like cut an X into it. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I suck the mouth. poison out. It's like, ma'am, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. And it's also poison. Enjoy your death. But no, that's not what she takes the stab out and gold tree, boom, comes back to life as beautiful as she ever was. Even more beautiful than she was when she was dead. So beautiful when she was dead that she made another woman just like completely smitten with her. Yeah. But now that she's alive, that lady's even more smitten. Oh, yeah. I seriously, I do want us to keep leaning very hard into these bi vibes from like <laughs> these like women that are going and finding these other women and being like, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. I don't even feel jealous. Yeah. Because girl, me too. I also want a piece of this. <laughs> yeah. And that night, the prince comes back from the hunting trip and he's looking pretty sad. Yeah. I'm guessing he didn't catch anything or something. I don't know. It doesn't say. No, what it's because is. he's just continually bummed that his wife. His wife's dead. Yeah. Which is that must be hard for like his second wife that like she's only yeah. ever known him sad and mopey <laughs> because his first wife died, which I mean, listen, yeah. it is sad that his first wife died. Yeah. So seeing that he was so downcast, the second wife is like, oh, my dear husband, what gift would you give me that I could make you laugh? And he's like, listen, I'm so sad that nothing could make me laugh except if Goldtree herself were to come back to life and just be in this house with us. And so the second wife is like, guess what? That's exactly what you'll find. Go down into that room and find her. She's alive. And the prince was super excited. He sees Goldtree alive. He makes great rejoicings, which reminds me of Buddy Python. Yay. <laughs> and he began to kiss her and kiss her and kiss her. It says that three times it's, in the book. Yeah. It says it three times. That was a direct quote. And the second wife, upon seeing her husband kissing and kissing and kissing his first wife, the most beautiful woman she's ever seen, responds saying, look, since she was your first wife, she was the first one that you married. Like, it's better that you stick with her. You two be together and I'll just get out of here. But then the prince is like, oh, no, you won't. You're not going anywhere. I'm going to have the both of you. And she was down with it. So they're living happily ever after the three of them, you would think. Yeah. But Silvertree is still out there. Mm. And at the end of the year, she goes back to the glen with the well, with the trout. And this time, having killed. Goldtree, thinking that she was going to be the most beautiful queen in the world, which I want to add, like, she, what made her assume that she was number two? You know, like, <laughs> she just asked, who's the, am I not the beautiful queen? And it was like, no, you're not. Goldtree is. It's like, 
it could be someone else. Like she's very confident. Like, oh, like it has to be me. Oh, it's Gold Tree. Like, obviously I'm in second place. It's interesting because her question is so narrow of like, who's the most beautiful queen? That's like she true. puts that like specifier onto it, which I'm like, maybe she has seen all the other queens in like the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So she feels pretty confident. But yeah. I mean, if she did feel pretty confident, then she wouldn't be asking this trout every time she yeah. saw it. Like, am I pretty? Am I prettier right. than them? Am I prettier than It doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. if you're prettier than them. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But, but it does to her. <laughs> but it matters to her. So feeling a little happier, she goes back to calling him by his cutesy nickname, Trouty. Mm. She says, Trouty, Bonnie, little fellow. Am I not the most beautiful queen in the world? And Trouty says, oh, indeed you are not. And she's like, what? Who? It can't, who could it be? And he's like, why, it's your daughter, Gold Tree. And she's like, no, it's not. She's not alive. It's been one year since I put a poison stab into her finger and she fell down dead. And Trouty was like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> she is not dead at all. And so Silver Tree storms off again, dashes home, begs the king to get the longship in order so that she can sail off to see her dear gold tree. And that's literally what it says, quote, dear gold tree. I'm imagining he doesn't know that she went off to like kill her yeah. the last time. Because he doesn't, like he's seeming like, you know, she's not dead. She yeah. didn't tell him. She's like, oh, I had a re- great visit with, with gold tree. Everything was fantastic. And now I'm happy. Yeah. The first time when she was like, oh, get the longboat. I want to get going. I wondered why he didn't say, Oh, wait, what are you talking? Let me come with you. No, I I was surprised he didn't say, wait, what are you talking about? Don't you remember? You made me feed you her heart and liver. Like, you'd think he'd, but no, he's like, oh, okay. She's like, I'm going to go visit (laughs) our daughter. And he's like, oh, right. (laughs) The one that I married off to. I was just like, this guy. That's funny. There's a lot that happened there that we don't know Yeah, that guy needs to be a little more like aware and a little more sly about. But listen. All characters, all characters in fairy tales are really like two dimensional. You don't really get to know a whole lot of that about their like motivation and stuff. But yeah, yeah. I, re- I feel like the king really dropped the ball on this one. Right. Uh, in the defense of the king, we don't know what happened. Like when she found out that Gold Tree was alive, maybe they had that conversation of like, she's alive. What happened? How could this happen to be? And he had to like come clean with her at that point. But you know, that's not in the story. Anyway, yeah. so we can speculate all we want. He's either a, a doofus or you know, some really dramatic conversations uh, happen behind the scenes. Yeah, where he, in my mind, this is all, you know, my own brain backstory, that... Katrina's head can. Yeah, that like in the background of everything, he she must have been like, oh, you know, I really regret eating our daughter and I really wish I could take it back. And he's like, well, guess what, babe? I never actually... Yeah. And she's like, oh, really? Oh, I would love to see her and apologize. Can we get the longboat ready? And he's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. That's how I imagine it yeah. going down. But who knows? Who knows? There's a lot of fun ways to imagine it. But what does happen the second time she gets on that longboat to go and it seems like the way it's written that she's trying to fool him into thinking that it's going to be a pleasant little visit again. Yeah. And so again, she takes the helm because she's like, listen, we made record time last time. I'm going to try to see if I can beat my own PR uh, and get there even faster. (laughs) And so they did get there uh, very quickly. And once again, the prince was out hunting in the hills and gold tree sees her father's ship coming. And she's like, Oh my gosh, my mother is coming and she's going to kill me again. And the second wife is like, oh, no, she's not. I'm going to go down and I'm going to meet her. So Silver Tree comes ashore and she starts calling out, come down, Gold Tree. Your mother has come to see you with a precious drink. 
And the second wife who went down to meet her says like, oh, here in this country, it's, you know, it's customary for a person offering another drink to take a drink of it themselves first. And still Silvertree is like, oh, okay. And she puts it to her lip, you know, intending probably to like fake take a sip. And at that moment, the second wife hits the bottom of the cup to dump some of it into her mouth and Silvertree falls down dead. I This second wife is baller. I love her. Yeah, she is my favorite character of this story and she doesn't even get a name. But she's awesome. She is. Yeah, that's like such a good move. Like, hey, she's like, here, come have this drink. And she's like, no, you. And it's like, okay, uh, boom. She's like, bam, what up? Because I'm just like, yeah. that's that's some housewives of Ireland. <laughs> the real housewives of like Ireland. Of ancient Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, I, I loved it. And so they're like, you know, and all they had to do was carry home her dead corpse and bury her now because ding dong, the queen, silver tree is dead. And so- the prince and his two wives were long alive after this, pleased and peaceful, which is like a very fun way to say, and they lived happily ever yeah. after. Yeah, And I just want to say, like, point out with the, like, the the second wife being the one that, like, tipped the cup. Not only does it, like, absolve Gold Tree from having to be the one that, like, offs her own yeah. mother, but... Which she would be completely justified in doing. Oh, yeah, 100%. Doing. But it also... The second wife, this was her opportunity to, if she didn't want Gold Tree to be alive, she could have yeah. just let that, you know, play out how it was. But obviously, yeah. she was like, no, I'm totally fine with our, like, thruple. polygamist relationship. Yeah, like our thruple. Like, it's okay. This polyamory is working for us. So I did have a question, Katrina, because actually, after it says the whole, and they lived happily ever after, the very last sentence, which is its own paragraph, says, I left them there. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, there is someone in the first person speaking as if they were the one that told the story. And not only told the story, but like that they were there to witness this stuff happening. Yeah. So what is the deal with like, what is the deal with that? Who is this person that's telling yeah, the story? Yeah, so we haven't talked about this in a while, but one thing that folklorists also look at are how different cultures begin stories and end them. How the teller of the tale will flow into the tale to signal that they're going into a story, but then also what they will say to signal that they've gone out of the mm. story. And so... That little like one sentence right at the end is an example of that. And it's probably a shortened version of what was actually said like during a performance. So for example, the story that I'm about to tell, it ends with the teller of the tale saying basically all of the food that he got to eat at the wedding <laughs> feast that he supposedly like went to uh -huh. for That's that. Awesome. And he basically talks about like the gifts that were passed out at the wedding and how amazing it was. And then he says, all I had had is gone. And now I'm as poor as I was to start with. I left them there. And that's like the last line of that. And so I love that. It's basically the bookend to once upon a time. Right. It's like now the story's done. But I love too that it's like not here's this story that I happen to know. The end. Yeah. The story is done being told. It's like they're like, oh, I I don't know. Just yeah. It's a fun thing as someone telling the story 
too to be like telling it from the point of view of like no i was there i yeah. saw these things happen and i know that this is how it went down because i was there i was at the wedding i ate all yeah. this food and i was once a rich person but now i'm not long story anyway <laughs> but yeah no but yeah it is like a fun little thing and i'm glad you brought that Absolutely up because that. yeah it's been a very long time probably years since we like talked about that just like one little element of of the bookends of the stories like the frame that they're put in so people will notice the similarities with the lay of Ely duke which hopefully people everybody who's listening to this episode had stopped at the beginning and went back and listened to that and then came back so that we can talk about this or mm, spoiler alerts so those like similarities of ending up with two women at the end of the story yeah. but also two women who were kind of like okay with it yeah and the the one being like oh like I'll leave it's fine I get yeah. it yeah and it is it is interesting too that kind of the way that we're used to seeing these stories like fairy tale stories princess stories go down is that yeah. the prince brings these people back to life that it, he like kisses them a true love's kiss yeah. and it like wakes them up and in these stories it's that second wife who in theory would be the opponent of these women right. for this man's affection except that that's not present she's yeah. the one who's like oh wow this lady is incredible this lady is amazing i can see why he's mourning her because like look how hot she is <laughs> yeah. i'm falling in love with her too and then is the one that wakes them up and in this story yeah. is the one that kills the enemy of her sister wife <laughs> right which here's the thing that is so interesting to me about it and i think it's because having done you know thousand and one nights like we spent a whole year going through these things and talking about how the thousand and one nights what scheherazade is doing when she's telling these stories is kind of like here are a bunch of stories with a bunch of women in them some of them are bad like the women that you have had bad experiences with yeah. but some of them are good like women are people and they run the gamut of like good and bad they're not all one of these things and this story in my mind has that like it's pairing these two up it's like here is the woman who yeah. is so insecure about her own daughter being more beautiful than her yeah that she wants to eat her heart and liver to know that she is dead and like uh, you know like that is extreme yeah. on that end but then on the other side there's this other one she's like she doesn't know this woman but she loves her husband on one side yeah. she, he, she wants him to be happy knows how much the husband loves him she sees this woman and is not like intimidated by her beauty because it's kind of weird yeah. there's this whole idea of you know like mothers being afraid that people are going to come along and like steal their sons away like my mother literally cried on the day i was born and my dad's like what's the matter and she's like someday some girl's gonna come and steal him away from me and my dad was like yeah, but when that day comes, you're probably going to be happy about yeah. it. Yeah. And she was. She loves my and wife. And she continues to be very happy about it. But there is that idea, like, you know, in culture of, like, yeah. women being afraid of someone stealing their son's affection away from them. Like, the kind of, yeah. like, devouring mother kind of a figure. Oh, my gosh. I just, re like, I'm <laughs> devouring mother. Like, she literally wanted to yes, eat this girl's heart yes. and liver. On the other side of that, this person who is not insecure, who recognizes the beauty, recognizes that this is like a super beautiful woman presumably recognizes that she's even more beautiful than herself, yeah. but she's not like intimidated by it. She's just has love for yeah. this person. And I mean, as much as, as much as we have been like joking, I do think that there's opportunity for like this, this story to, to be queered. I absolutely. Yeah. But also I do want to point out that you cannot, you can, by not queering the story, you can also be saying 
that this woman is what you're saying, just very secure that she can appreciate and love the beauty of somebody else without feeling like she is degraded in any way. And yeah. like, we're, we're all like capable of that. And society does often pit people against each other, especially women, pitting women against yeah. each other and making them seem like they are in competition with each other. And like, this woman is such a star in this yeah. story that which is great yeah that she just immediately is like oh no like i i don't feel intimidated by this other person being more beautiful than me i i appreciate all that they are i love seeing them be loved by this great man hey and if i'm in the way i can leave and the, the guy being like you're not in the way that's not the situation and presumably also the first princess being like of, of gold tree being yeah. like, you're not in the way. And yeah. so it is like, you know, all these three people being like, Hey, what's best for the group. I'm willing to do what's best for the group. And the group is saying all of us being here is what's best for the group. And they're like, you're yeah. good. We appreciate all of each other. Yeah. I feel like that's a very healthy and beautiful way of being a human being, not in competition with each other, but it is yeah. like what you're saying, like showing that, Oh, it's women aren't all out to get each other that this mother was intimidated by her daughter's beauty. And that's bad. Look, you cannot be intimidated by somebody's beauty. And that's better Yeah, to not feel that. And it just stands out so much too, because, you know, like Cinderella, you've got the stepmother and the stepsisters. And, you know, like yeah. it's not even just, and, you know, Cupid and Psyche and all the, we've talked so many times about all these stories where there are these other women that are just jealous of that main character usually because of their beauty and like actively are working against that person yeah and it's like these are people like sisters in like some of the beauty and the beast stories like they're not even they're yeah. they're sisters like not stepsisters but biological sisters yeah who are also who, like, married to good people yeah but just not and, like as good as their sister yeah and even keep it in psyche it's like her her actual sisters who do love her but still like so i guess this case is just so great because not only is it like another woman that's not being jealous and like actively working against the princess, but she doesn't even know this. They don't even know each other. Yeah. Like she's not, she's not a sister that is supposed to love this person or does presumably love this person already going into this, doesn't have any existing relationship, but even from that place is able to come in and like be awesome by bringing the girl back to life and then like straight up doing some really clever like you know maneuvering in order to get someone to poison themselves with the poison that they brought you should drink that first to, yeah to the fight it's just like amazing this is this is ripe for some sort of like cinematic yeah. retelling of some kind and because a lot of the time on the podcast i mean I, i'm like it's even you know like the tagline of talking about why certain stories persist and others don't this i feel like is a perfect example of a story not persisting yeah because the story that the version that we're all most familiar with of this story is not this one no and so it does say a lot about the cultures that we grew up in that this story was suppressed and the other version of women fighting each other, being jealous about each other, those are the stories that persist in our yeah. culture. That is the narrative that gets pushed. But this story, I will point out that like one of the reasons that it is suppressed isn't because like, oh, it showed up a helpful woman. The reason why it was suppressed was because of the polyandry. Right. And to note that, not just for me to like, you know, say that like, oh, you Puritans and 
But then that's why this story is suppressed. Like, no, for real, that like is. <laughs> like the people that actively suppress this wrote it down in a note. Like, we are suppressing this. <laughs> I'm making that part up. But <laughs> that'd be incredible. They're like, we're writing this down. So, um, like I said at the beginning, Joseph Jacobs he recorded these stories in Celtic fairy tales, and we've talked a little bit about him before in another episode, so I won't go very deeply into it. He grew up in Australia. He was a Jewish man, grew up in Australia, and he moved to England and wrote down English fairy tales and then also these ones, these Celtic fairy tales, and published them in 1892. But he helpfully wrote some notes about each of the stories that he recorded that were also included. Yeah, I'm like, I love I love it when the tales aren't just like collections of just, just the straight stories, but also some like notes. But his note on this story was really interesting. Joseph Jacobs in the back wrote under this tale remarks. These are his remarks. It is unlikely, I should say impossible, that this tale with the incident of the dormant heroine I love that he calls the sleeping beauty the sleeping beauty a dormant heroine. <laughs> dormant heroine. It's a less catchy title than <laughs> Sleeping Beauty, but Yeah. You know, beautiful in its own Which way. Which I don't think I don't think I've uh like fully mentioned this that um Snow White stories and what we call Sleeping Beauty stories, they have the shared element of Sleeping Beauty, which is why these stories are called Snow White tales instead of Sleeping Beauties, sleeping even beauty. though both of them contain the sleeping sleeping beauty. beauty or dormant heroines <laughs> <laughs> dormant heroines that's what we'll call it that's this solves a huge issue for me in my brain because every episode that we've been doing on snow white because of the fact that she is a sleeping beauty i want to i i get confused about wait is this is this sleeping beauty i was like no it's not sleeping beauty it's snow white don't say sleeping beauty don't be a dummy but it's like a concept about my brain and it's no longer because I will refer to Sleeping Beauty as the one named Sleeping Beauty. And if you're not Sleeping Beauty, you are a dormant heroine. Yes. And that's what every night when I go to sleep. All Sleeping Beauties are dormant heroines, but not all dormant heroines are Sleeping Beauties. Yeah. It's a whole rectangle square thing. That comes in handy so much in my life. So yeah, it is unlikely, I should say impossible, that this tale with the incident of the dormant heroine should have arisen independently in the Highlands. It is most likely an importation from abroad. Yet in it occurs a most primitive incident. The bigamous household of the hero. This is glossed over in Mr. McLeod's other variant, which Mr. McLeod is a person who had written this story that was published in a magazine. So that's Mr. who Mr. McLeod is. On the survival method of investigation, this would possibly be used as evidence for polygamy in the Highlands. Yet if, as is probable, the story came from abroad, this trait may have come with it and only implies polygamy in the original home of the tale. And so Joseph Mm. Jacobs in 1894, in 1892, in 1892. 400 years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's how you That's how the rhyme goes. (laughs) (laughs) So Joseph Jacobs in 1892 thought that it was impossible that this story that was taking place in the Highlands could have polygamy in it. He And so mm-hmm. he was like, there's no possible way that this could have originated here because that implies or people might use it to imply evidence that here in this Christian country <laughs> that we ever permitted this 
type of a, a thing to happen. Yeah. And, you know, of course, that would be completely shocking to him. But after he noted that, there was another Celtic folklorist who pointed him to the lay of Eliduc as evidence mm. that, no, this story probably did originate here. And here is evidence to point of how nearby stories had existed here. Here's one from Marie de France when she was living in England that she shared yeah. with this king from, you know, the Middle Ages. And completely fascinating. And when you look at this story, if you are pointed to this story of gold tree and silver tree as a Snow White variant, which does happen where people are like, oh, I've been reading different Snow White tales and you read this one, you're going to have a really hard time understanding just like Joseph Jacobs did, understanding like, wait, where did these elements come from? And they came from that exact same area from these lays, these stories that were traveling around. Could that story have been influenced by other stories, possibly in the Middle East, Africa, Balkans, other? Yes, absolutely. It could have. Because we, when we were doing the Thousand and One Nights, we talked about how there were periods of time when in Europe, there were lots of wars, things not going great. But in other places in the world, trade was booming. They were sending people to talk to Charlemagne. And so, yeah, okay, this element could have traveled from, you know, farther afield. But we know that this story element from the time when it was collected here and written down in 1892, it had been in that country, that element of these like two women being married to like the same guy. It had yeah. been in stories over there for about 800 years. Yeah. It would be fascinating and interesting to see if there was like any historical evidence that showed that this was something that was happening. Because there's a part of me too that's like, I, it's very well that it could have been. And I think that that's great and fine. But it's also like, it's interesting to me how some, and I, I get how people do this, but how people will be like, oh, it has to mean something. Mm -hmm. Like people are going to say that this is something that really happened. Like, do you also then think that like trouts in wells are telling people that they are or are not the most beautiful queen in all the land? You know what I mean? It's like, okay. no, like there aren't trouts that are doing this. Are there? Are there trouts in Scotland that tell you if you're pretty or not? They don't. Okay, listen, because I was gonna, I was going to wait. I was going to wait until the next story to to bring this up and to tell you this because the trout pops up again in another story. Oh, my gosh. So in Ireland and in Celtic mythology, in stories that were collected by Speranza Wild, there are stories of trouts in wells and the way that the trouts got into the well differs based on the region because post-Christianity, the, the trout got in the well by a saint putting it into the well and like blessing the water and the well. And uh -huh. um, it's a sacred speckled trout that's oh my in the water. And there's various stories, but he was told to impart wisdom, fertility, health, and... Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not Bitcoin? It's not Bitcoin. But it's uh, like they can foresee the future. I absolutely love this element of the trout in the well. Yeah. And I love that it's a thing. I love that it's not unique to the story. I love that it's a thing. Yeah. And I love that it's not just a thing in these stories, but like that it got that whole, it got a, a, taken into Christianity as well. Like 
it existed before yeah. that, but then they're like, they're like, they came along and they were like, you know what? We'd like this. We want this. We don't want to make this go away. Well, it's ours yeah. now. We're ta- we're doing this. We're keeping Cause it. Because that region, when Christianity was introduced to that region, there was a lot of pushback because people already had, yeah. the landscape was already imbued with all of these like magical creatures. Yeah. The she, the fae were already there. In the land, like absorbed into the land, in the hills, in the dells, in the wells. And so the Christians that came in, they couldn't kick all of that out because they they couldn't get rid of the people's belief in all of these spirits that were already there. And so, yeah, Yeah. what they did was they turned the trout into, oh, well, a, a saint put that trout in there and blessed the well. And that's why that well brings health and prosperity to us. That's you can stick your head into that well and speak into it. And possibly this trout will give back answers. But what I love about this trout is this is we're going to cover more elements. But this is, you know, part of that magic mirror piece that Mm. we're going to be seeing develop in the different stories. Yeah, I wanted to get there, too. Just as far as like it it makes sense because of water reflective. There's something speaking to you from within the water. Mm -hmm. Like it's starting to make sense of like, why is there a mirror that speaks? Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, you can see how maybe it, like, it makes more sense. It's weird to say that it makes more sense. It's like, oh, of course, because it used to be a a magic trout inside of water that that's why it's a a voice in a mirror. Oh, that makes so much (laughs) sense. Yeah. But it does. It does. (laughs) To me. It does. And like water as a reflective pool and a place to look in for divination as a reflective yeah. like material and like kind of a portal into a an opposite dimension yeah is not unique to any one culture no. it's found it's in everywhere. cultures throughout the world yeah where you yeah. know some cultures they would dig these really really shallow like basins and then would fill them up with water. And that was happening in like South America. At the same time that those pools of water were being like, you know, looked into for divination purposes and like ritual religious purposes. We also have people in Ireland looking into wells. I love it. So now I'm going to share another story with you because this story is going to also introduce some characters that we are used to seeing in the Snow White story, but in definitely a way that you're not expecting because this story is unique. I'm excited. So this next story that I'm going to be telling is called, and listen, I know for a fact that I'm not going to be pronouncing this name correctly Mm. because words that are written in like Gaelic, they will use the alphabet that I am familiar with to write out the word, but none of the none of the letters make the sounds that I am expecting them to make. Yeah. And so even if I could sound out words, which we all on this podcast know, <laughs> I'm not physically capable of doing that either. Yeah. But if I was to just sound it out, it would be more wrong than usual. So I'm going to, we've tried to look up on the international phonetic alphabet, how to pronounce this name. And I'm still probably going to be pronouncing it wrong. And I do apologize for that. But this story is called Lacer Kek. Maybe. Maybe. Lacer Kek. Do we want to spell it for people too, in case they want to look it up later or something like that? It's L A S A I R. That's Which, the first word. Okay, so far. Yeah. And then Kek. G H 
E-U-G. Which that's the one that throws us yeah. off. It would potentially throw you off. Lassier Kick, the king of Ireland's daughter. That's the title. And uh, we looked up the name and it means Slender Flame, which I'm like, that's so beautiful. Mm. Not close to the name Snow White at all. Not <laughs> even close to, I feel like maybe closer to Gold Tree, a sl Slender mm, yeah. Flame, maybe. Like that has a gold. So we're still in that uh, metallic-y, shimmery colors, gem tones. Yeah. And the stuff we saw too, like, yeah, gold, gold being kind of, yeah, like shimmery and shiny, like orangish, like fire. And then also one of the other things, like it was like slender flame, but the other part can mean like branch or limb mm. as well. Like branch being like a, a tree, yeah. something you would find on a tree. Yeah. And if it were a branch on a golden tree and the light was hitting it just right at sunset. Oh, gorgeous. You, you would not be faulted for mistaking it for a flaming slender branch. Or a gold tree. Or oh. a gold tree. But if you see a tree that's on fire and you're like, I think that tree is made out of gold, I think you need to get your eyes checked. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> so this story was recorded in 1891. So contemporary with mm. gold tree, silver tree. But doesn't have a rhyming mnemonic device to remember it, except for that it was one year before. 400 years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue, 1492. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So this story was recorded in Scottish Studies by Alan Bruford under a Scottish Gaelic version of Snow White. That's what this story was labeled. Yeah, which is why I was like, oh, this is a Scottish story, but it's called Lissier Kiek, the King of Ireland's Daughter. So Jeff and I aren't exactly entirely solid on our uh, Irish, Scottish world history. So, we, yeah. I mean, obviously, they are islands that are very close to each other and have a long shared history, groups of people shared history. So, yeah, it's like what they're both, they're Celtic nations, even though I feel like, you know, Celtic is in my mind, more closely associated with Ireland than Scotland is like they're like by the definition of the stuff. And I again don't know the history of this, but it's like Scotland is also a Celtic nation, as are like a few. There's a few others yeah. as well that are like parts of. Not you know, to mention, for for such a long time in Europe, it was just bands of people, like groups of yeah. different family relations groups battling each other for land and then times of peace and farming and then wh what like vikings raids so it's like a long history of lots of different groups of people yeah. moving in and out and their cultures moving in and out and morphing changing diffusion all this stuff with each other so yeah and I know that we've talked about on the podcast before too, like this is being recorded similarly in time to like Brothers Grimm, others thing. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons they're recording is because they were trying to establish these national identities. We're living in a world, especially in yeah. the Western hemisphere, where like national identities have been around and solidified kind of for, you know, a while, yeah. like our whole lives and our parents' lives and our grandparents' lives. So it's hard for me to imagine. It's like there was a time when like people weren't super concerned with like what country they were from. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's not that's not even how they conceive the world. They didn't look at the world and see like lines on a globe. Like they, you know, yeah. what I mean? like we just see the world so different that it's like impossible to get in that mindset. But anyway, 
All we're saying is that geographically close and at the same time, these stories were being written down near each other, but it probably existed in the area for much longer, much earlier than 1891, which is why there are different versions so close together that share a lot of like commonalities. But this is another one that's interesting because of the polygamy of it all. But this story is also fun because we're going to see some characters that we haven't seen yet. And it's going to be fun to talk about them a little bit, much like we talked about the trout. So there was once a king and he married a queen, as they so often do. And they had a daughter together. And in this story, unlike the last one, the mother died while the child Mm. was still very young. So he married another queen. To be fair, the mother died in the other story too, but not this early on. (laughs) So true. So he married another queen. And in the story, it says the queen was good to her stepdaughter, loved her stepdaughter, was totally fine with her. Amazing. Yeah, incredible. Amazing how this would happen. The bar is so low in fairy tales, but she leaped over it. Stepmother with affection towards a stepdaughter? What? Wow. I'm impressed. Well, not for long. (laughs) Oh, no. But one day, the, and this is a word that is in Gaelic that I cannot pronounce. I couldn't even pronounce the word pronounce. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, But when I looked it up, it's the English translation for it is hen wife, which is very interesting because a hen wife is one of those characters in stories that is either a wise woman or a witch. So a henwife is either this like wise woman in the town or which depending on like, you know, how she is right. viewed. And and we don't know the connotations of this Celtic word in that culture. Oh. Or do we? So what's interesting. So in uh, Celtic fairy tales where we got the last story, Gold Tree and Silver mm-hmm. Tree, there is a story that includes this henwife. But in that one, she is basically the fairy godmother for the Cinderella tale. Oh. The Cinderella tale is called Fair, Brown, and Trembling. Interesting. Yeah, if anybody wants to look up that story, it is a Cinderella tale type. So A-T-U-5-10-A. But there's a henwife in that story, but she's the fairy godmother. But in this story, this woman is, are you a good witch or a bad witch? She's a bad witch in this one. Got it. Because also this particular term, this is a feminine spirit believed to live near castles and it provides unspecified service to its residents. That's definitely a euphemism for something, (laughs) but what? It also might have this like other context of it's a ghost, but not a ghost of a human. It's like the ghost of a fae, Mm, which, yeah, because I'm like, that's even more like wild because you're either like a fae or a ghost, but a ghost of a fae. (laughs) Like what? Not all fae are ghosts, but some ghosts are fae. (laughs) (laughs) I told you that comes in handy so often. Um, So, but in this story, this is, it's a feminine spirit, but it's an, it's an, Evil, bad castle ghost fae, or possibly a henwife witch. She comes to this new queen, and it says that she told the queen that she was a fool to be so good to her stepdaughter when 
the wife should know that if the king were to die right now, most of the inheritance would go towards that daughter and not to her. Who is it that's planting this evil thought into her mind? The fae ghost? The fae ghost, the hen wife. Hmm. All of the blame really is being placed on this evil yeah. spirit. It's not the stepmother herself. It's that like the stepmother right. herself, she would have been a good kind person if she hadn't been convinced by this like dark evil entity that came to her. Yeah. Which is an interesting nuance to add to it is. the stepmother. Situation. Because usually all that we're kind of given is this like, oh, she was a jealous person. Like, oh, this stepmother, this mother was like a jealous person. But in this, you have this evil entity that's coming to this woman and saying, you shouldn't be so good to her. You know that she's going to inherit more than you if your husband were to die. And don't we all sometimes have these evil <laughs> fae ghosts that come to us and say things like that? It's don't, don't we all have an evil fae ghost inside of us? There are two fae that are inside all of us. <laughs> Exactly. And the queen basically said to her, well, you know, what can I do about it? You know, if my stepdaughter does well, I'll still get a share of it. Like, it's fine. And the henwife was like, well, if you give me what I ask for, I can do something about it to help fix this problem for you. And the queen was like, what would you want? And <laughs> this lady, she's like, well, I, I just have a little saucepan. I only put it on occasionally, but all I would want is just a little meal grain enough to thicken up the water in my pot and butter enough to thin it out and the full of my ear of wool, which I'm, mm. that's, is that a good way to measure wool? And the queen, there's this like whole back and forth where the queen is like, wait, okay, so how much how much meal are we talking in this like pot that you have that you're like, oh, I just need a little. And she's like, the increase of seven granaries of oats in seven years. Oh my gosh. That got a, a lot more expensive than <laughs> she had like originally said. What's interesting is this like repetitiveness of uh -huh. the number seven. Yeah. So... The meal is the increase of seven granaries of oats in seven years. The butter is the increase of seven beans of cattle in seven years. And then she's like, and how much wool will your ear hold? <laughs> the increase of seven folds of sheep in seven years. And the queen rightfully is like, you're asking for a whole lot. But if you're going to help me with this like inheritance thing, like I'll take it. And this like evil henwife was like, okay, so all we'll have to do is kill the king's greyhound bitch. <laughs> it's fine. This is an animal husbandry podcast. That that is the actual term for a female <laughs> dog, which we know and don't laugh about because this is an animal husbandry podcast. And we're mature about yeah. this. We're adults. Very mature. Yes. So yeah. It's like <laughs> we will kill the king's greyhound. And leave it on the landing of the stairs. And the king will think that Lesser Kiek has killed it. And we will make her swear three baptismal oaths. There's a holy number. Three. Hmm. Three was already a holy number in like the Celtic belief system. And that's why right. when Christianity came in, they really latched on to like the Trinity of like yeah. three things being one. They already were like, right. oh, yes, that makes sense that we agree with you. And then it also makes sense too, like being a post-Christian Ireland or Scotland, mm -hmm. like that seven would be worked in there too. Because like within Christianity, seven is a 
like a wholly important number. yeah it, like a, a, a number of completeness which is kind of like interesting if you look at it in that lens too it's like to say seven the increase of seven things seven years it's like it, it almost is like that's such a big number it's like give me everything yeah you know what i mean it's kind of like it's such a huge number it's like a billion dollars or something yeah like yeah that's mind. like oh how many how many oats do you want all of them how much butter yeah. do you want all of it. How much wool do you want? The entire thing. Yeah. So they were like, we will make Lessier Kiek promise with three baptismal oaths that she will not be on foot, she will not be on horseback, and she will not be on the green earth the day that she tells the truth of it, of what has happened. I They don't go into how they got her to make these oaths to them that she wouldn't tell anybody about it and the other stipulation is that she would not tell a christian person and that like that element is one that kind of like comes and goes from the story uh -huh. but slightly important later but yeah that like that she won't tell a christian person and she won't tell them while she's standing on her feet. She won't tell them on horseback and she won't tell them on the green earth. But again, I don't know how they get these oaths from her, but somehow they do. The king comes home and he sees his dog, his greyhound, dead, lying on the landing. And, you know, he starts screaming and is like, who did this deed? Who did this terrible thing? And the queen was like, who do you think but your own eldest daughter? Which I don't know why she said it as if like, who do you think it is? Yeah. The only person who murders animals around here is your daughter. Like, <laughs> what? Like, your daughter, duh. But she says it like that. And the king is like, that cannot be. And he marches off to bed, doesn't eat anything the rest of the day, doesn't drink anything. And then the next morning, he rises up earlier than the sun and goes out to clear his mind by hunting. So the hen wife, she comes back and she was like, so what did the king do to his daughter last night? And the queen is like, he did nothing, old woman. I love that she says that, old woman. Go, Just go home. Never let me see you again. The king was so upset last night, and he didn't believe for a second that his daughter did it. You are not helpful. Just leave. And the henwife was like, no, I will be bound that he will kill his daughter tonight. So now at this point, this like henwife is basically saying that she has to accomplish this or she's going to somehow be eternally penalized. I don't know but by what judicial system she is bound. Yeah. I, like, I don't know, but she's like, nope, now I, I have to accomplish this. So we have to move on to step number two. And the queen was like, okay, what's step number two? She was like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to kill the king's graceful black horse, his palfrey like type of horse i believe is the animal husbandry mm. bucket and we'll leave that on the landing all these poor animals and so again they make lesier kiek swear three baptismal oaths that you know she can't tell any christians on foot on horseback or on green earth the king comes home and he saw his dead horse oh. killed godfather style no <laughs> Lying in his lying bed. in his bed, just a horse head. No, lying on the landing, and you know he starts screaming and yelling, and he's like, "Who did this deed? Who did this horrible thing?" And the queen was like, "Who? Well, who do you think? But your own eldest daughter." <laughs> and the king again was like, "This cannot be." And he went to bed, didn't have a bite to eat, didn't drink anything, and the next morning he woke up early and left to go clear his mind hunting. In comes the henwife, and she's like, "All right, so tell me, 
What did the king do to his daughter last night? And the queen is like, he did nothing at all, old woman. Go home. Be away from here. The king was so upset and it did no good at all. And the henwife was like, no, I will be bound that he will kill his daughter tonight. The queen was like, okay, what do you want this time? And she's like, okay, all we have to do is kill your own eldest son. She's telling the queen, we like, okay, we're in this too deep now. So what we're going to do is we have to kill your son. This isn't the son of the first wife. This is her son. And this woman, blinded by the evil of the henwife, agrees to do just that. And again, gets the oaths from Lissier Kiek that she will tell no Christian on foot, on horseback, on green earth what happened. So the king comes home and he sees his eldest son on the landing and is, of course, furious mad. Oh, yeah. Who did this horrible deed? And the queen was like, who do you think but your own eldest daughter? And the king was like, that cannot be. And he goes to bed, doesn't have anything to eat, doesn't have anything to drink. And in the next morning, he wakes up earlier than the sun and he goes out to hunt. And the henwife comes and is like, all right, tell me, what did the king do to his daughter last night? And the queen is like, he did nothing, old woman. Go home and do not come here again. The henwife was like, no, 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 I will be bound that he will kill his daughter tonight. Okay, you must pretend that you are sick and sore and sorry. Sorry, meaning like in a a poor state, like that you're like very, Mm -hmm. very ill. Not apologetic. Yeah, not apologetic. (laughs) So immediately the queen gets in bed, you know, you know, puts a thermometer under a heat lamp and then is, oh, 120 degree (laughs) (laughs) fever. (laughs) Bueller. Um, I've never seen that movie. (laughs) Ferris Bueller's Day Out. Never seen it. Yeah. True fact about me. So she lays down pretends that like oh she's dying she's it's the end everything's bad so the men of the house they leap onto their horses and they ride their horses out to the king to tell him that his wife is dying that something horrible is going on with her she's terribly terribly sick so the king rides as quickly as he can back to his house and he asks the queen what in the seven continents of the world which i'm like when was this story written 1891 i yeah thought that was very interesting but also the fact that we say that there are seven continents is also like the same reason why we say that there's seven colors of the rainbow Uh there's not just people really liked the number seven and so they just found seven they were like how can we divide this into seven pieces yeah just to make it clear but i thought that was really interesting that they were like Asked what in the seven continents of the world? Like what? The seven seas. Yes, the seven seas. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. So he asked the queen what in the seven continents of the world he could get to help her. And he would get just that. And she's lying in bed. She's like, oh, there is something that would help me. But what will help me? You will not give me. And he was like, no, tell me what you need. I will get what you need so that we can cure you. And she was like, I need you to give me the heart. Of Lysier Keck, the king of Ireland's daughter. And the king was like, well, it is going to be very hard for me to give you that, but you shall get it. And so the king went, and it says, he went to the squinting Sandy Cook. <laughs> like rude. So he went to the cook of the house and 
asked if he would be able to hide his daughter for one night. Which mm. I was like, thank you, Cook. Yes. When you said he went to the cook, I was kind of like, uh, you know, cook who might know how to butcher things. Yeah, to like... This is not yeah. good, but he's good. He's a good dude. And this, this little motif does get us slightly into the story of Troy that we told of when the king of Troy gave Paris or the mom gave Paris to a shepherd to kill, uh, but instead of killing him, raised him. But yeah. then what was fated to be was like fated to be. So there's like that one tiny element of like, oh, kill this child. Oh, but no, I won't. I'll hide them. And so people, yeah. instead of getting killed, get hidden and then they pop back up. So it's kind of a little tie in to these stories. Yeah. But back to the story. He's like, cook, I need you to hide my child for me for one night. And the cook was like, I will. So the king, who was excellent at hunting. He sure practiced yeah, a lot. But every day he'd get really upset and then be like, oh, time to go out hunting. Oh no, my eldest son is dead. Time to go out hunting. So he killed a sucking pig and they took out the heart and the liver, which was interesting. She only asked mm. for the heart, but he went the extra mile. Yeah. What a good guy. Yeah. And they covered Lissier Kiak's clothes with blood. And the king went home with the heart and the liver and he gave it to the queen. The queen ate these things. Optimistic cannibalism. <laughs> she, thinking that she was committing cannibalism, happily ate these items and was magically cured from this ailment that she didn't have. Which I'm glad that the king was like, hey, you know what? We're going to try. We're going to try this first. Instead of me giving you my daughter's heart to see if it heals you. Let's see if just any heart will do. He was really banking on the fact that she'd not eaten a human heart or liver before. Yeah. Just kidding. I don't know if you'd be able to tell the difference. I haven't either. I haven't either. I wouldn't know taste, texture, size, shape. Like I wouldn't know. So magically, the queen just got better. So it turns out it didn't matter what kind of a heart or a liver it was because yeah, she was playing pretend. So the king went back again to that cook and asked him if he would be able to hide the child for just one more night. And the cook said that he would. And then the next day, the king took his best horse from the stable, obviously not the one that got murdered. At the start of the story, it was the second best horse. But- yeah. Got promoted. He got promoted. That's what you call a field promotion. <laughs> <laughs> so he took the best horse in the stable, a bag of gold, a bag of silver, and the Sierre Kiek, and he went out into the forest. And it said he came to a great forest that had no edge and no end. I'm like, ooh, visually beautiful mm. to imagine. Uh, like just, but basically it was so vast. It was seven times seven <laughs> acres wide. <Yep. laughs> so there he had decided was where he would leave his daughter. But, and here's some violence that is coming. So some body mutilation, you're being warned. He took the hand of his daughter and he chopped off one of her fingers. Wow. And this is a me- this is a messed up conversation about to have. He was like, "Does that hurt you, daughter?" And she says, "It doesn't hurt me, father, because it is you who did it." Oh my gosh. Which I'm like, "Oh, no, not a fan." No, don't like that. And he but then he says, "Well, it hurts me more to have lost my dog." Which I'm like, "Uh-uh. No, no, no. We're not taking off a finger for a dog." So then he chops off another one of her fingers and he asks her again, does that hurt? And she's like, no, because you're the one that did it, father. And he was like, well, it hurt me more to have lost my black horse. 
And then he cuts off mm-hmm. a third finger and he asks her, does that hurt? And she's like, no, because you're the one that did it. And he's like, well, it hurts me more to have lost my eldest son. And of course, she couldn't say anything to him to defend herself because she had made these yeah. like oaths. And so even though, you know, she knew the reason that it was happening was because he thought that she was the one that had committed those crimes and he wanted her to pay some kind of like penance for that. Mm-hmm. She could not tell him that it wasn't her. Right. And so he then hands her the bags of gold and the bag of silver. He got on his horse and he rode all the way back to his castle. And it says he went home and he laid down on his bed. I'm like, yeah, this guy's having kind of a bad time. Yeah. Not forgiving him for the thing that he just did to that girl's fingers. That was not cool. Like, because even like, buddy, does it make you, does that make you feel better? Does it make it right? No. Oh, don't like that. At all. So anyway, obviously, Lassier Kiak was frightened to be in the forest because she didn't know what wild beasts were going to be out there and, you know, what was going to come for her. But she decided that the safest thing for her to do was to find a tall tree and climb up into it so that she could sleep up in a tall tree in the night. And so that is what she did, climbed up the top of a tall tree. And pretty soon after she had gotten up there, she started hearing something coming along in the forest. And when she looked down, she saw 12 cats coming. Hmm. And one of them was a one-eyed gray cat. Already a fan. So technically there are 13 cats because it was 12 and then this one-eyed gray cat. And 13 is another number that is very mystical. Mm -hmm. So anyway, cats (laughs) (laughs) and it said they had a cow and a cauldron and they lit a fire at the base of the tree and they killed the cow so they could start cooking it for their dinner the cats the cats killed the cow so they could all (laughs) share cow stew together this is funny (laughs) the mental it's like the mental image of it yeah Yeah. like the puss in boots gang of cats like that are standing upright and like Slaughtering cows and cooking yeah. their parts in Carl's Having cauldron. like a jolly old time. Yeah. So as they are cooking this cow at like the base of the tree, there's all this steam from the, the cow soup going up. And as the steam was rising, and this is going to get a little bit, a little bit gross. Um, if it wasn't already, <laughs> it's about to it's, start. I'm like, uh oh, that's a that to be a little a little gross. Might make you a little squeamy. So as the steam was rising up from the cow soup, her fingers, or rather the stubs, started to get warmed up oh. from the steam coming up, and uh-huh. they started to bleed again. And the oh. drops were dripping down into the cauldron. Oh. So the one-eyed gray cat. Was like, what in the world? <laughs> Why is that tree bleeding? <laughs> That's not normal. And so he told one of the cats to climb up into the tree and see what was there. And he said, and I thought this was an interesting quote, for king's blood or knight's blood was falling into the cauldron. So he could tell that it was like royal blood falling into the cauldron. Yeah, which I'm like, huh. Once you get the taste for royal, you never forget it. Well, apparently the one queen had never had it because she <laughs> she was like, oh, this tastes like royal blood. <laughs> it's a joke because it's a pig. So the first cat climbed up into the tree and saw, <laughs> saw this princess sitting up there. 
And she quietly was like, Shh, don't say anything. Um, and gave him a handful of gold and a handful of silver. <laughs> and uh, the cat went back down and was like, oh, yeah, I didn't see anything that was up there. But the blood kept dripping. So one by one, the one-eyed gray cat sent everybody up the tree to go. And they kept coming down with a handful of gold and a handful of silver and no information. There's nothing up there. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. Crazy. Crazy. So finally, the one-eyed gray cat climbed up the tree himself and he found Lysier Kiek and Mm. he brought her down. So when the supper was ready, the one-eyed gray cat asked her if she wanted to eat her supper with him or with the other 12. And she said that she would rather eat supper with him because he was the one she liked the look of best. And so they sat and they ate their dinner together, which was, of course, cow soup with a little bit of her blood in it. Optimistic cannibalism. So when after they had finished supper, it was time to go to bed. And the one-eyed gray cat asked her what she would rather do, go to bed snuggled with him or with the other 12. And she said that she would sleep with him because she liked the look of him best, which Mm. I... At this point in the story, I just love like the idea of her, you know, being like, oh, this is my favorite kitty kitty cat. <laughs> this like one eyed cat. This, you know, uh-huh. just a little bit like roughed up, but like so still lovable, even if he like looks rougher. I'm interpreting it completely differently, but that's fine. <laughs> just as far as like, you know, she's kind of like buttering him up a little bit. Oh, because she can see she's he's getting, like. Yeah, she's like what's the best play that I can make in this situation is like, I got to get the guy that's telling everyone what to do, get on his good side to up my chances of survival. And maybe also she thinks that he really is the cutest of all the kitty cats. (laughs) Both of these things can be true. That's true. So the next morning they started heading off to Lachlan. The one-eyed gray cat was really the king of Lachlan's son. And his 12 squires along with him, but they had been bewitched (sighs) by his stepmother. And now that he'd been chosen over the others by a princess, the spell had been broken and he turned into a human man. Oh, I did not see that coming. Yeah, because this whole story, there was a random backstory where... This guy had a whole thing with his stepmother turning yeah. him into a cat for some unknown reason. All these other people. And he's going around the countryside trying to find a princess in a tree to undo his spell. But we don't get his side of the story. No, that's the boring. Who cares? <laughs> so they were then married in Lockland. And Lysier Kiek had three sons. And she asked the king... For a favor to not have her children christened. Ah. Mm. I'm like, do we see a plan starting to be laid? Interesting. I was wondering if maybe this these cats were not going to be Christian cats, but <laughs> what, my bad. All of these cats to assume yeah, that you're the bad. cats were not baptized. Yes, all of these cats had been baptized um, and and christened. They normally hate water. I assume human babies. Yes. When they were christened. Yeah. It's all making sense. Yes. Is it? (laughs) You're like, you're like, cats, they're unbaptized. I'm like, ha, joke's on you. These were all baptized cats. (laughs) These were good Christian cats. (laughs) So (laughs) back in Ireland, there was a well in the king of Ireland's garden. (gasps) Oh, yeah, I forgot. And there was a trout. Yes. 
living inside of this well. Trouty. And the queen used to go there every year to wash in the well. And when she went there to wash, she would say, Little trout, little trout, am not I the most beautiful woman that ever was in Ireland? Mm. And the trout said, Indeed, indeed you are not. Oh. <laughs> I was like, whoa. He's like, indeed, you are not. Like, <gasps> why are you so mean? How sassy trout. <laughs> indeed you are not. While La Sierre Kiek the king of Ireland's daughter is alive. And the Uh-oh. queen was like, excuse me? She's not alive. And the trout is like, she is and will be in spite of you. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, she is in Lachlan. She has three unchristened children. Trout, you're giving up way too much information. Yeah. Shut your dirty fish mouth. <laughs> but the queen of Ireland said, I will set a snare to catch her. And a net to destroy you. Why Why would you attack the trout yeah. just because he's... Like, he just gave you valuable information so that you can hatch a plot, yeah. okay? There's no need to attack to attack the trout. Yeah, I'm starting to think, too, that this part of this trout's deal is that he can only speak the truth. Oh. Because why not just be like, yes, you are the most beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. You're like, listen, trout, just lie. Yeah. He's like, no, it's fine. She thinks she is already. Tell her what she wants to hear. It's fine. Yeah. Who's it going to hurt? Nobody. But telling the truth hurts other people. Man. That's <laughs> that's the lesson we're trying to this. Sometimes you just got to lie. Yeah. If it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, just lie. Just lie. The most important thing we want you to get from our podcast. <laughs> lie. This is a morals and morality podcast. Kind of, yeah. Anyway. The trout was completely unfazed by this woman's threats. And he was like, you've tried once or twice before to kill this girl. I doubt that you're going to be (laughs) successful now. And although I am here now, many is the mighty water I can be on before night comes. So, yeah, he's like. He's not trapped to the well. He can. Yeah, he's like, I choose to be here. He's got avenues of escape. So, yeah, he's like, okay, sure. If you're going to attack me, do it. I don't. (laughs) Not scared of you, woman. So the queen went home and it says she gave the king a piece of her mind for making her believe that he had given her Lysiarchiak's heart. Wow. Which I'm like, wow, that is some audacity (laughs) to be like, how dare you trick me into eating a pig heart when I meant to eat the heart of your daughter? Yeah. You know what? Strangely, I was actually more amazed that like the phrase piece of someone's mind was existing. You know, as far back as 1891. Yeah. And possibly further back. Who knows? Yeah. Shakespeare probably invented it, honestly. Probably. Coined it. So (laughs) it says that she wanted the king to go with her to see Lysierkiek, but that the king refused to because he didn't believe that she was actually there. Because he was like, I put her in this like vast right. forest. Like, I. How did she make it? Yeah, I doubt that she made it there and that she ended up marrying a prince. A prince. He's like, mm, doubt it. I, I'm going to stay here. So she ended up sending her 12 maids in waiting, mm. but she stayed back. But she gave the maids in waiting a box and she said to. Or only allow her to open it when she was with her three unchristened children. Uh, uh. So do know that the box was meant for three children. So Lysia Kek, it says she was sitting at the window sewing, which is 
Just a fascinating little tidbit, since we know that this is connected to the Snow White story. Mm. Just that little element of a woman, like a mother, you know, sitting by a window sewing. Um, But she was looking out the window and she saw her father's banner coming. And she was so excited because she was like, oh my gosh, my father found me. Mm. He knows that I'm here. He sent like people. I hope he's down there with them. I can't wait. Because she loved her father despite him cutting off her fingers in his misplaced anger. Yeah. So it says that in her delight, she did not know whether to run out of the door or fly out of the window. Uh. She was like, just like so excited to like see them. So she quickly went outside to meet this group and they gave her the box. And she was so delighted that she didn't wait for Mm. her children to like be she wanted to see immediately like what was in the box so she she opened up the box when she was first alone back in the castle and when she opened the box there were three grains of ice one stuck to her forehead and the others it one in each of the palms of her hand Hmm. and she immediately fell down dead and cold because it's ice Mm. it's like this like poisoned ice or whatever so her husband came home and found her dead And he was so distraught because he loved her so much that he could not bring himself to bury her. So, of course, he put her into a coffin. And side note, I am so curious. They don't mention this in the rest of the story. So you know how he was a one-eyed gray cat? Yeah. Was he a one-eyed human? Yeah. I want to know if he was a one-eyed human. With gray hair. As well. Yeah. I just very much, I would want to know because I just found that like interesting. But they like never mention it. But forever in this story, to me, he still just has like one eye. Yeah. Because I just assume. But anyway, that was, that's just an aside. I like that. Yeah. That it was like, I'm just assuming that's just part of his backstory. Like that's just like, that is what it is. Yeah. So he puts her in this coffin and he locks it up in a room and he would visit her every single day and it says he would look he would look twice as well when he went in than when he came out which is a kind of a backward weird way of saying that like anytime he went in when he would leave he would leave looking twice as sad Hmm. and so this went on for a long time until his 12 squires the the men who had been with him when he had met her you know finally persuaded him that like you know he you need to move on buddy so he decided to remarry but he was never happy it was mm-hmm. like he he married this woman and she was lovely and kind but he just really didn't have the emotional bandwidth mm-hmm. to engage with this woman much she could tell that he was still just very sad but he gave every key in the house to the queen except the key to that room, which again, I absolutely love. I love that it's like, we've done Bluebeard. So we know that, you know, whenever there's that key, there is that chance that behind that door is just a bunch of women hanging on meat hooks or (laughs) just one dead woman. (laughs) It's a toss up, ladies. You know, one woman, one dead woman is better than 12 dead women on meat hooks. That's just math. Oh yeah. Oh, 100%. I'm in full agreement with you. I prefer my husband to have zero rooms with Hmm. any dead women in them that's my preference but my values are not everybody's and you kind of gotta just take what you're given in those sorts of situations though that's true times were different then (laughs) like (laughs) you get what you get and you don't get upset (laughs) 
Yeah. This is a marriage advice podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're on one tonight. Mm. So, of course, this new queen wondered every day what was in the room, especially when he looked so, so sad every time he came out of it. So one day she told one of the boys, her stepsons, to her unchristened stepsons. Right. Because it's, yeah, Lysier Kek's yeah. sons. Would they not? Oh, yeah. Because it's her. Her, her stepsons. Yeah, got yeah. it. So she asked one of the boys if while they were playing with their dad, spending time with him, if one of them might be able to steal the key out of his pocket. <laughs> you know what might be kind of fun? A fun little game to play with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Steal the keys from his pocket. So one of the, it says one of the lads, one of the lads who loves berries and cream. (laughs) (laughs) So one day, one of the lads stole the key and gave it to his stepmother. So she immediately went in there to see what was inside. And when she went in and she saw that it was the king's first wife, she felt horrible because she was like oh of course he's always so sad mm-hmm. and every time he and the thing that makes him the saddest is like that he's lost his wife and of course yeah this makes total sense that this is what's in the locked room and as she went over to this beautiful woman in the casket she saw that she had this weird grain of ice on her forehead and i love that like this other woman is looking at this other woman who looks dead Mm-hmm. And is like, oh, sweetie, you've got a little bit of, you've got, I'm like, good, good looking out. Uh-huh. Good looking out. You know, when you look at somebody, you're like, oh, sweet, you just, you have, there's just a little bit of something right there. Yep. You got it. And so, you know, she sees this little like piece grain of ice on this woman's forehead, which they don't say, you know, obviously magic ice, you know, I don't have to go into it with you people. Like, yeah. well, how didn't the ice melt? Guys, it's magic. It's fine. We got talking fish. We got people turning into cats. Yeah. We can all be okay with this ice, right? We got ghost fae. So she, it says she took a pin and just like picked the ice off of her face. And when she picked the ice off of her face, the woman in the coffin let out a sigh, which I'm like, oh, that has got to be slightly unnerving. <laughs> yeah. But instead of like, you know, getting freaked out by that, she kind of looked over the woman and she saw, oh, there's another one on this like palm of her hand. So she picked that one out. And then Lassier Kiek sat upright, which again, terrifying. <laughs> I'm just imagining in like a morgue situation. Yeah. Terrifying. But then uh, the second wife, she looked at the other palm, saw another, and she picked it out. And that's when... Lesierkiak fully came back to life. And so what she did was she led her out of the room and put her into a different room. And then she had one of her stepsons go and sneak the key back into their dad's pocket. (laughs) So she can pretend like that didn't happen. And so when he got back home, as was his custom, he would first thing go to that room and he walked in and it was empty. And he was like, oh, my gosh, what happened? What has somebody done? He thought somebody had, like, obviously gotten into the room and, like, stole his wife, buried her. He didn't know. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, what did you think somebody did with her bot? Anyway, it's fine. But he immediately was like, oh, no, where did she go? And his wife comes over to him and she's like, what's wrong? And he was like, the room's empty. And she was like, well, what was in the room? And he told her. It was my first wife. I loved her so much. I just, it, I couldn't bring myself to bury her. Even though she was dead, I just really liked to look on her and remember her. The queen said, and what will you give me if I bring you her alive? 
And he was like, well, I mean, I don't expect to see her alive, but I would be glad to have her back. And the queen took him by the arm and led him into the other room where his wife was sitting, Lissier Kek was sitting alive. Mm. And of course, he was overjoyed to see his wife alive. And he laughed and cried with delight. So the other wife, of course, said, okay, well, I might as well go home because you'll have no more need of me here. But Lissier Kiek told her, don't go home. You should stay right here with me. You should have food and drink as good as me and to stay with us every day as long as you live. So another year passed by. The Queen of Ireland went to a well to wash there again. And she said, little trout, little trout, am not I the most beautiful woman that ever was in Ireland? That ever was in Ireland? I mean, that yeah. that includes everybody dead or alive. Yeah, she's thinks very highly of herself. She does. Yeah. And she's setting herself up for disappointment. Yeah. Narrow the question. Yeah. Like, am I a MILF or am I an uggo? <laughs> that way the fish has a little something to work with, you know? He doesn't have to lie to her. Yeah. And she can leave happy. It's fine. Because he's probably going to be like, yeah, I'm sure you're a MILF to somebody. Really? And it's like all she's looking for is like validation. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's insecure. She needs the validation. Ma'am, just ask your husband. Hot or not. Yeah. And also, I'm sure she has other skills and talents that have nothing to do with her hotness. Yeah. I mean, the other lady in your story, she could steer a long ship. Yeah. Very well. Yeah. Who cares if you're hot? You can steer a long ship. Yeah. There's a lot of hot people that don't know how to do that. You put that in your Tinder bio. You'll be getting swiped to the right all day long. Yeah. Is right good or is left good? Uh, I right, have no right's idea. Gotta be good. Jeff, you and I have been married so long. <laughs> to, uh, to separate people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that they have invented technologies that were not available to us yeah. when we were dating people. That's why you had to use me to find a wife. (laughs) Anyway, so she was asking this trout, am I the most beautiful woman that was ever in Ireland? Which already, anyway, too broad of a question. But the fish was like, indeed you are not. While La Sierra the king of Ireland's daughter, is alive. She will be more beautiful than you still. And she's like, what do you mean she's alive? (laughs) And the trout's like, yep, in spite of everything you've done, she is still alive. So again, the queen was like, I will snare a catch to her and a net to destroy you. And again, the trout was like, you've tried and failed. You're a loser. I doubt you'll be successful now. <laughs> and then he was like, I, pff, you'll, you'll never catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. <laughs> so <laughs> the queen went home and she got the king to come with her this time because she was like, oh, now that now that those ladies in waiting have said that they met your daughter, you know that she's out there. Let's go visit her. Let's plan a little trip. And so the king was legit excited to go and visit his daughter. He hadn't seen her in a long time. So this time, Lissier Kiek was sitting at the window and had no pleasure when she saw her father's banner coming. <laughs> Obviously. And it said, when Sunday came, they went to church. And while everybody was in church, she had people sent to go and catch a wild boar that was out in the woods and others to go get sticks and logs to make a big fire. And when they caught the wild boar, she got on the boar's back, went, yep, you're, you're like, ah, 
And it says she went in at one door of the church and out at the other door. And she called her three unchristened children to her side. So she like rode the boar inside the church, told her kids, follow me, children. And then they like walked back outside. And she said, I'm not going to tell my story to anyone at all, but to you three unchristened children. So it almost seems as if people could hear her, but she was saying the loophole was that she was only intending the message for them. And she said, when I lived in my own father's kingdom in Ireland, my stepmother and the henwife killed my father's greyhound and left it on the landing. And they made me swear three baptismal oaths that I would not be on foot. I would not be on horseback and I would not be on the green earth the day I told of it. And I am on the wild boar's back. (laughs) They expected that my father would kill me, but my father has not killed me yet. And then she rode the boar in at one door and out the other again, calling Mm. her children to follow her. Said basically the same thing about the horse, then did the whole thing again and told about her older brother. They had expected my father would kill me, but my father has not killed me yet. Now I have nothing more to tell you. And then she jumped off of the boar, I'm assuming slapped it on the butt (laughs) for emphasis. That is what they call a Scottish mic drop. (laughs) When they all came out of the church after hearing that, the queen was caught and burnt in a fire. Oh, man. I'm not sad about it. It just happened so suddenly. Yeah. So, after all of this had happened, the king went to his daughter and said, in a joking, jovial manner, I feel like you have done quite ill by me. I came from home with a wife, but now I'm going home without one. And Lasser Kiek said, oh, that isn't the way. You came here with a monster, but I have a woman friend, and you shall have her, and she will be your wife. And she gave the second wife... To, to her, her father, father ah, to marry. Interesting. And the wedding lasted for a whole year and a day. And I would know because I was there. Yeah. <laughs> and that is where I left them. Beautiful. So the element that we have not encountered yet that I'm excited that we have encountered, and es- especially in this very unique way, mm-hmm. are the helpers in the woods. Yeah. Because we kind of got a little bit of that with the Holy Hermit in the lay of Eliduc. Mm-hmm. A little bit. He was, he was, that, that was more of a place location, you yeah. know. He wasn't as helpful as anyone could be. But we have these cats that show up. And I love them because, you know, they're not exactly the same thing yeah. that we will see in other tales, but they are those little like helpers in the woods, this like band of cats. Yes. One of them did end up being the prince mm-hmm. <laughs> in the story that she marries. Um, but I was excited to see some helpers in the woods start uh, coming out of the mix. Yeah, there's so much like it was really fascinating about the story and both things that are related to Snow White and things that aren't, obviously. Yeah. But even in just like between the two stories, kind of the similarities and differences, because there's so many things that are so, so similar. But then yeah. also like very different. Like, I mean, obviously the end where it's like, what do we do about this whole like two wives situation? It's like, yeah, we got it covered because we've got a guy who doesn't have a wife anymore because she just got killed, which is also really interesting how like in this one in the other one is kind of like the other the second wife 
did kind of like tricks, but it's kind of like an Uno reverse on the poisoning. She's like, I'm going to poison you. And it's like, no, you, but you know, and it's kind of like, yeah. that's easily, you know, it's like, oh, self-defense. There's so many like justifiable like reasons behind that. Plus it's not the, the heroine of the story that's doing it. And it wasn't in this one either. She didn't tell them to kill her, but it's like, yeah. it's like, oh yeah, they found out that she was lying. And so they just took her and burned her. It was like, whoa, holy cow. You know, there wasn't any sort of that, like turning it on her yeah it was like the, no this thing that she's done which uh, to be fair like she murdered a person already and was going to murder another one or it tried yeah. to murder another one yeah or did and but she was brought back to life so it's kind of like i don't know quote unquote justified but yeah it was, it was just kind of you know that was kind of interesting yeah what i thought was interesting was like in the last episode the lay of ely duke like Obviously, they had to find a workaround for how to get rid of the bonus wife. Yeah. And it was bonus wife surprise. She's a nun and she's going to go to the yeah. church. Because, I mean, especially for the time period that that was written appropriate. The one that you told, Silver Tree and Gold Tree, the version that you told, because there are other versions that mm -hmm. different things will happen to the bonus wife. But in the one that you told that was collected by Joseph Jacobs, he keeps both of them. Yeah. He's like, no, we're going to be like a happy throuple. Mm -hmm. And then in this one, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, this is how we'll get rid of this like bonus wife. In like a happy way. But yeah, like what you're pointing out of like, okay, how did the punishments? Yeah. Like how did the punishments differ from each other? One got poisoned by her own poison, but then, yeah, in this one, it was, yeah. she got caught and burned. The other element that I feel like, and maybe we have seen this and I just don't remember, but I think this also sort of has the element of, and this I'm basing off of Disney's Snow White, which is the story <laughs> that I'm obviously the most familiar with. The stepmother goes in like the guise of this old woman like very witchy like looking woman mm. and this yeah. one you have it is it's the stepmother that's doing all these things but she ha is originally influenced by this kind of like the henwife yeah, yeah who is in this version a henwife a bad henwife uh, a malevolent kind of no, malevolent was a poorly chosen word <laughs> for, <laughs> i don't want to get confused with something else but uh because it sounds like another uh you yeah. know, disney villain but um yeah, you know what I mean? So I, like, even though it's a separate character, it's kind of interesting that that element is there to me, which I feel like it hasn't really been in any of the other ones. Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought that up because the old lady, I, I feel like that's there too of, it's almost like two parts of that one woman, right? Yeah. Where it's like, like the stately queen who's totally fine with everything, but then that evil, jealous shadow half of possibly herself, yeah. but also in the lore, like a mythological figure. Yeah. But there's a story in uh, Greek mythology, and this one is the one that I kind of brought up that there's another Greek story that we haven't covered. Mm -hmm. It's short, and but it came with a trigger warning for um, sexual assault. Mm -hmm. So this is a story that comes from Greek mythology, and it is in Ovid's Metamorphoses. This is the story of, I think it's Chione. So Dedalion's daughter, Chioni was this super beautiful woman and the object of like everyone's desires. And she had two deities that had seen her on a trip to earth and thought that she was so incredibly gorgeous. And it was Apollo and Hermes. They decided that like, oh my goodness, this lady is so hot. We want her so bad that we are going to wait until nightfall and then we will go and have our way with her. So Hermes 
didn't want to wait that long. So what he did was he used magic to cause her to fall into a deep sleep. And then he proceeded to sexually assault her. And then later that evening, Apollo decided to visit her. But when he went to her house to visit her, he disguised himself as an old woman. Mm. In the story, she ends up giving birth to twins that were, you know, neither here nor there kind of for what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like it kind of like ends her story ends badly. So many women's stories end badly. Mm. Uh, but one thing that happened to her was like after after she had had these twins, she basically was boasting to people that she was so extremely beautiful that like they, she had these two gods that came to her. And Artemis was so offended by this woman bragging about that and talking about that especially apollo is artemis's like Mm -hmm. brother and she ended up shooting her through her tongue oh and it sounds like that killed her yeah it not a it's not a great story but you you have those elements of extremely beautiful woman put into a deep sleep i mean that can also you know there's a little bit of sleeping beauty Mm -hmm. And that, the way she's put to sleep, somebody sexually assaults her and she gives birth to twins. That's very much like related to Sleeping Beauty. But you have that character of Apollo dressing up as an old woman to get himself through the door. Right. And so there's there's that that this might, you know, come from. But I, I do like what you're saying that this like hen wife kind of is that figure of Mm -hmm. this like old crone type woman that's coming or like the shadow half of like the queen. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's I've, I've loved these stories in this episode. This has been like a super fun episode, super interesting. And I was like, I've been pleasantly surprised because Snow White is not one of my favorite stories. Like even like, you know, the Disney movie, it's like not one that I would watch that much. And it's like of the, uh, you know, dormant heroine tales that exist. <laughs> I lean more towards Sleeping Beauty probably than Snow White, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm like so happy that there are these really, really interesting stories of that tale type or related tale types at least, if not the tale type that exist that we can get into that are just like amazing stories, great stories that people haven't heard that's like that people deserve to hear because like these are better than the Snow White story that, you know, that people know and love, I think. Yeah. And I feel like the thing that I like the most about looking at these side stories is seeing elements that you've never seen before or having this kind of like remix of what's going on. But in these ones, absolutely what stands out the most as has been the case since, you know, Joseph Jacobs brought it up was mm. where did these polygamist relationships, where did these throuples come from? Like this idea. And we see where it started, but it's so interesting to see where it's going. Yeah. And I really think that as stories inspire people, I feel like this one has so much to add to intensify the story of Snow White in more interesting ways than have been, you know, seen in the past. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. 
Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inge for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar No. Who do you think I am? The liver king? (laughs)